Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. All right, well, we're going to return to our study this morning in Matthew. We find ourselves this morning in Matthew chapter 8, uh, continuing to make our way through this gospel. In, in Matthew, in chapter 4, verse 23, you can go ahead and turn to chapter 8. We'll start in verse 1 there for our study today. But I just want to bring our attention back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, where Matthew writes, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Matthew, prior to the Sermon on the Mount, had made the statement, this is what Jesus is doing. He's making his way throughout the region. He's teaching. He's healing. His ministry has begun, and we've spent the last several weeks considering uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're coming into a couple of chapters here that will really begin to emphasize some of the healing ministry uh, that accompanied this work. And so as we look to his word this morning, if you would, just agree with me in prayer here as we begin. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with, Lord, and the opportunity we have to gather together as the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we've had time to worship you in song to praise you, Lord, and in an act of surrender, offer our lives to you here this morning to recognize your goodness and your grace and your mercy towards us. And now, Lord, we look to your word, and it's our desire, Lord, that by your spirit you would teach us here today. Lord, we need to learn. We need to grow. We need to change. Lord, we need sanctification in our lives. Yes, Lord, we need conviction. We need exhortation. We need encouragement. And Lord, we come to you this morning desiring all of that. That, Lord, you would work and you would move in this place here this morning. And teach us, Lord, by your Spirit, through your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as I've mentioned, and as we've considered over the last several weeks, we've been in, in the, uh, the greatest sermon ever preached that we have access to, that was, is recorded in Scripture, it's the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, and that gives us insight into Jesus' preaching. And now as we move into chapters 8 and 9, we will see some of the healing that occurs, and really the authority that Jesus demonstrates over things like sickness and disease. As I considered the message for this morning, the main question for me was was whether we would just look at the miracles in verses 1 through 17, or if we would cover everything up through 27 uh, in the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. I feel personally led that this morning we need to look at all of it together, and so we're going to move a bit more quickly through these first three miracles than we would otherwise. There's a lot we could consider here. Um, and, and I want to share with you today that, that it is my goal that as we leave this place, for myself included, that our faith would increase. That's what's heavy upon my heart this morning, is that our faith would increase, that our faith would strengthen, that our trust in Jesus would increase. That's the goal for us today. But I want to ask you this question before we dive into the scripture here this morning. In our world today, we know that people are struggling with many things, uh, fear and anxiety included. What is the cause of much of this? And we might be inclined today to say that it's sin, that sin in our world is causing the things that we are seeing. And that is true, but what I'm really looking for is more of the obvious. Right now, in this year, there are a handful of things that are really affecting us as a people. There are issues of of racial and ethnic divide. There's polarization of, of, of people in their viewpoints. There's disease and sickness as we sit here with masks on this morning, right? We're 
very well aware of that. And, and the, there's weather. More recently, there's hurricanes and, and there's fires. And, and we're looking at all of this, and for many, it creates fear, it creates anxiety, and, and we have opinions about all these different things that, again, are very polarized. And, and I want for you, for the sake of today, to think about all of those things and if you, if you will, to maybe have some of those things at the forefront of your mind as we begin to look at Scripture. I want for you to take your concerns, your frustration, your struggles, perhaps even your prejudices maybe, your opinions, your anxiety, your fear, and I want you to keep it right there in your consciousness as we look to God's Word. And let's begin then to read together in verses 1 through 4. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we read, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. First, it should be noted here that leprosy is a terrible disease. And in particular, at this time, there was really no cure. From issues of the skin, uh, something as minor as what may appear to be a rash initially, to it attacking the nervous system, to susceptibility to infection, which then led to degeneration of tissue and of limbs, Lepers often looked as if their body was decomposing while they were yet still alive. And that's in fact what was happening. Such a disease would not only make one physically unclean, but they would be viewed as spiritually unclean as well. And throughout history, such a disease would be considered a punishment for sin. Given the seriousness of this disease, a leper was required to stay physically and socially distant from others. Does that sound familiar? If others were approaching them, they were to cry out, unclean, unclean, as a warning to those who were approaching in order that they might maintain a distance of, can you guess how far they had to maintain? Six feet. For many lepers, they would end up roaming with no place to go, and often they would be sent away to what was known as a leper colony, secluded, isolated, and alone. And here this man, not without regard for others, but with boldness and confidence in who Jesus is, approaches seeking healing. Now notice two things here. One, for this man, it is not a matter of whether Jesus can or is able, but rather whether he will. There is absolute faith and trust in the ability of Jesus. And for Jesus, notice that while in the next miracle that we'll get to, he will heal with just a word. Here, Jesus heals with a touch. It was not necessary for Jesus to touch this man. And it was certainly not recommended. Rather, it was prohibited. You could not go close to him. You would not go close to him. But for this man who for some time, no doubt, has felt the sting of isolation, loneliness, and the longing for a simple touch. Jesus ministers to him in a deeply personal way. And through this touch, he identifies with this man. 
Healing not just his disease, but also the hurting in his heart. And Jesus cleanses the unclean. And in verse 4, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now many wonder sometimes why Jesus here tells this man, don't, don't tell anyone. And, and, and really it's as simple as Jesus is seeking to keep things on the down low still. Word is traveling, his popularity is increasing, but Jesus knows that there are appointed times and hours for certain aspects of his ministry. And until that time, Jesus simply says, don't tell anybody. Just go and do what Scripture commands you to do. Be obedient to the Word by going to the temple and making an offering. Now let's move on. And again, guys, remember, <clears throat> we could spend all day right here, okay? But for the sake of this morning, I want us to see this in its full context. So let's move on to the second healing miracle, which is the centurion and his servant. In verse 5 we read, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Verse 6, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Now we need to pause here for a moment because what's happening here is quite unusual. First, the centurion himself is a Gentile not of the people of God. He is a Roman soldier, and so by extension of that, he's an enemy. Furthermore, he is not appealing for himself, but on behalf of his servant, whom others in this situation may have simply looked at as worthless, expendable. Let me state this differently. This man who comes to Jesus was the wrong race, the wrong tribe, the wrong party, and he was appealing for someone who was deemed by society to be worthless and not deserving of healing or of justice. And I will tell you that I'm not reaching to make that statement this morning. It was the truth of this interaction. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. No conversation, no persuading. Jesus says, I'll come. Now what's amazing here is that first Jesus is willing to go to this man's house. Because as a Jew, he would not have been permitted to do so. The disciples standing around him, we can only assume as Jesus says, I'll go to your house, are thinking, what in the world is he doing? We don't go to this man's house. We don't spend time with a guy like this. And culturally speaking, it was not okay to mix in this way. And then secondly, what's even more incredible here is look at this centurion's response. As he answers in verse 8 and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. This man had authority. He had wealth. He was a free Roman citizen. He had privilege as, a, as an extension of that. Yet this man says, I am not worthy. And I say to this centurion, you're darn right you're not. He wasn't. And nor are we. And oh, if more people today would similarly declare both inside the church and out, Lord, I am not worthy. Because what that's called is humility and repentance. And we are in desperate need of that today in our world. This has been a theme for us week after week in both Genesis and in Matthew. The need for humble repentance. 
And the amazing thing here is that this, this man demonstrates that, and then he demonstrates also great faith as he humbly trusts in the authority of Jesus. As he says to Jesus, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. You see, this centurion is not being arrogant here. He recognizes the structure of authority. And he knows that in his own life, if he tells someone to go and do it, they will do it. How much more he who is Lord over all can speak with a word and expect obedience. And so he effectively says to Jesus, I know that you have authority and if you are willing, you need only speak a word and the whole of creation will obey. Now when Jesus heard this, we get insight into the faith that is demonstrated by this man. In verse 10 it says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. This is Jesus now who's marveling. And he said to those who followed, so he's speaking to his disciples primarily now and others who have begun to follow along. Assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Spoiler, we get to do that someday, Christian. But the sons of the kingdom, verse 12, will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is Jesus saying here? This Gentile soldier on behalf of his servant, just demonstrated greater faith than the Jews. God's chosen people who think because of their name and because of their family that they've earned something, that they themselves are worthy. But ultimately, what this centurion recognizes is that it's about the one who will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there is only one who is worthy. and His name is Jesus. Amen? And then Jesus said to the centurion, verse 13, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. With a word, Jesus brings healing, not just to the leper and the one consumed with disease and outcast, but also to the ethnically outcast. And then in verse 14 we read, When Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever, so he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. I love this. We don't know much about Peter's mother-in-law. We know that she was sick, and that here she was healed. And then when she was healed, boom, she was serving the Lord. <laughs> Anybody would have afforded her an opportunity to just sit there for a while, have a drink of water, <laughs> collect yourself. But it seems she jumped out of that bed and began serving those who were in the home. And this is such a wonderful demonstration of grace. That without even asking, Jesus brings healing to Peter's mother-in-law. The other two had come to him, seeking him, asking. And here Jesus comes in and we have no sense whatsoever that anybody pleaded with Jesus to bring healing. He just knew and he wanted to. And imagine the joy for Peter's wife and for her mother. That Jesus would care for these women in this way. After all, like the leper who was physically marginalized through his uncleanness, or the soldier who was ethnically marginalized, women also were culturally marginalized. Of devout Jewish men of the day, among several prayers that they would recite throughout the course of the day, one prayer that devout Jewish men would often, if not always, pray is, Lord, 
I thank thee that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Interesting, right? Yet look who our Lord has been ministering to. Look who he's brought healing to. One who was diseased and outcast, a Gentile, a slave, a woman. Do you see how Jesus is flipping everything upside down? Everything that they knew, everything that they thought they knew. And we read on in verse 16, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. You see, as word spreads, many more are coming to Jesus, and in various ways, Jesus continues to heal all those, it says, who are coming to him on this particular day. And in doing so, he's demonstrating his authority over disease and supporting then the truth of the gospel that he is declaring. You see, at this particular time, especially, miracles were instrumental in Jesus' ministry as he declared to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, that his life would would follow it up, that, that he could demonstrate things that would cause people to say, yes, clearly, this is him. Now, regarding verse 17, in the fulfillment of prophecy that we find from Isaiah 53, the question is often asked, has the death and resurrection of Jesus ensured that believers no longer have to deal with sickness and disease? And to that question, I would say to you, well, what does the evidence around you in this world and even in Scripture tell you? The answer would be no. Now, we're not going to get to spend as much time on this today uh, as maybe we should. Um, you can submit your questions for Q&A maybe on Tuesday morning if you want to know more about this or if you want to debate this in any way. But I would simply say to you today that many have sought to take this verse and propagate a prosperity gospel that tells you that in Christ there is only health and wealth for you in this life. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. If someone is sick today or in need today, yes, we are to have faith. We are to have a humble dependence and trust in Jesus to care for us and to meet our needs. But the promise that you will not suffer or be called to endure various trial is not found in Scripture. It's quite the opposite. And I'm, we must recognize truth does Jesus have authority over all these things? Yes, he does. Can he heal today? Yes, he can. Is that always his will? No, it is not. There, there is a difference between God's sovereign power and his sovereign will. We must understand that as believers. Is God sovereign and powerful over all things? Yes. Does he have a sovereign will? Yes. And his will is different for each and every person. If someone struggles with this, and I understand they do, but if you struggle with this, and I don't say this in any sort of way other than to say, read your Bible. All of it. <laughs> read Romans and 2 Corinthians and Colossians and Philippians and 1 Peter. Read Hebrews 11 and go to the end of the chapter where it talks about those who face the mouths of lions. Where it talks of those who gave their life where it points us to the martyrs, the countless martyrs throughout history who stood for truth and gave their lives. And so no, Jesus, Jesus does not promise that we won't still deal with sickness and with disease. But yes, he has absolutely taken our infirmities and our sickness as he dealt with the root of all those things. 
which is sin. Wherein when He died on the cross and was resurrected, He defeated sin. And because of that, we know that no sickness or disease need cause us worry or fear in this life. Because while it may claim your physical body, there is a glorified one that awaits you in eternity. And God may choose to heal in this life, or He may not. But it's an absolute guarantee in the life to come that you'll have a new and perfect body. So what of this life now? What of right now? What of, what of today and what of the healings and the miracles that we often see that we can find ourselves saying, Lord, why not? Why won't you in this moment, Lord? What we must understand is that again, miracles are a demonstration of His glory and of His power that people might believe. That in recognizing His authority, we might also bring our own lives under that authority and trust in Him. Do you see? He uses miracles. He uses healings. Yes, as, as, he, as He blesses people, but ultimately it's for His glory. And when we see such glory demonstrated, when we see such power demonstrated, when we see such authority demonstrated, what it's intended to do is to cause us to go, God is real. God exists. God is moving still today. And if He has authority over all things, He must then have authority over my life. And we surrender ourselves to it. Note the next two encounters that we see here. In verse 18, we begin to read, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, you can only imagine that people were beginning to flock to him. He gave a command, as Jesus often does, and I love it, as all the people are coming to him. This isn't the first time he's done this. It's a wonderful thing. People are coming in, in our own minds, certainly me, I would look at this and I would say, we've done it. We've arrived. We get to set up ministry here. Look at all the wonderful things we get to do. Look at all the people who want us. And Jesus says, let's leave. I love the way that Jesus thinks and operates. And so he says, let's go. Let's depart to the other side. But in this time, a certain scribe, it says in verse 19, comes and says to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And in verse 20, Jesus responds with a rather odd statement. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you came to me after a service and you said, Pastor, I'll go anywhere with you. Let's go. And I said, well, you see, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You might go, okay, not sure I follow. But of course, Jesus is being perfect, regularly seeking the Father, the will of the Father, and having discernment because of that spiritual connection. He recognizes, he knows, he knows of this man, this scribe. And what he knows of him is that first he calls Jesus teacher. Notice how that's different than others who have approached him who call him what? Lord. He comes to him and he calls him teacher. He doesn't call him Lord. And in his excitement at what he has heard and observed, he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to be involved with these things. Who wouldn't? Probably as a scribe, and this may be more speculation, but as a scribe, he may be absolutely thinking too, I have something to offer you, Jesus. I, I perceive that maybe I'm a little bit smarter and more skilled than these other guys you've chosen to come along with you. He's fishermen, and I can offer you something. But Jesus knows that this man has not considered the cost. He doesn't know what he's getting into. And though he thinks he has something to offer Jesus, he isn't ready to give it all up to follow him. There are too many today who think they are worthy and who want the exciting aspects of ministry, the powerful preaching and healing, but what about the abandonment of this world? What about giving up the things of this world? What if nothing feels like home anymore? What if you're no longer comfortable here? 
What if you become a stranger, a foreigner in this world? Are you willing? Are you willing to walk that road? You see, similarly in verses 21 and 22, we read, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. We might be inclined to say with Jesus, that seems a little harsh. The guy can't go to a funeral for his dad. That's what's required of me to follow you. I've just got to totally just just abandon my family. Well, remember what just happened earlier. Jesus went into the home of Peter as they were getting out, getting ready to leave. You don't think that there was a thought for Jesus of I'm getting ready to take Peter on a journey. Here his wife is at home with his sick mother. Maybe I'll heal her because I care for your family, right? Let's, let's be careful we don't jump to conclusions. And still people say, well, Jesus, people cared for your body when you died. You, Jesus, mourned over Lazarus. What, what gives? Well, rest assured, friends, had this man's dad have just died, this man would not be here listening to Jesus. He would have been burying his father, okay? Well, wait, what do you mean? He said, can I go bury my father? It, it was Jewish custom and law that if someone died, you had to bury them that same day. Why would he be standing there listening to Jesus? What this man is saying, what he's communicating here, and, and the idea of let me first go and bury my father, that's actually a statement that was used during this time. And what it really communicates is, my dad is old. I need to care for him until he has died. I need to take care of the estate. I need to ensure my inheritance is intact. I need to tie up all these loose ends. And that may take a week or a month or a year or two years. And then, Jesus, I'll follow you. In other words, I have too much to do right now, Jesus. Too many cares in this world to follow after you. And how does Jesus respond? By saying that dead people can bury dead people? You might be thinking, well, how does that work exactly, Jesus? What exactly are you saying here? In a way, he is saying, yes, let the dead bury the dead. More specifically, what he's saying is, let those who are spiritually dead, who care about the things of this world, let them handle the things of this world. You follow after me. Do you see that? Friends, as we see Jesus demonstrate his authority over disease, we see also his authority over disciples. And should you desire, as these men did, to follow after him, you must understand that the call is now. And the call is to actually follow. It is not when it is convenient. It's not when it is comfortable. It's not when it is safe. Jesus is not safe. You understand that? Following Jesus is not safe. If you look at safety in terms of physical protection and blessing and comfort in this world, He does not call us to a life of safety. He calls us to a life of unconditional trust and dependence. Do you understand that? Can I get an amen on that? Now, in verse 23, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly it says, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us! We are perishing! Mere moments ago, the disciples saw Jesus heal leprosy, 
with a word overcome disease, with a touch bring healing. They heard him send others away because they were not willing to count the cost and follow him with reckless abandon. And now they are consumed by fear, thinking we're going to die. Thankfully, the disciples give us something to relate to, right? (laughs) Lest we look upon them with judgment, I think we too, at least I know for me, can look at this and say, yeah, Lord, I'm sorry. I do the same thing. But he said to them, Jesus says to them in verse 26, Why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. In a stinging rebuke, Jesus says to these men, Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? And quite frankly, it could also be said of many of us, because far too often we face circumstances where we should trust God, Trust God to drive out fear, and instead we allow fear to drive out God. And I wonder, is that you today? We see then that Jesus, in the latter part of verse 26, arose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. In verse 27, so the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, what these Jewish men knew, those disciples that were with him at this point, was that only God commands the wind and the sea. And as they sat there in awe, looking up at Jesus, standing there, calming the sea, they thought, could this be? Is this truly him? Is he, as they think in their minds, is, is, is he? And friends, we know today that he is. He is. Do you know today that Jesus is God? I need a response on that. Amen. Amen. Say yes. Say amen. Say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Do you know that Jesus is God? Do you know him? The one who has authority over disease, over the weather, he still has authority today. He still has authority today. And here's the big question for you this morning. Does he have authority over you? Let's go back to the beginning. I asked you to keep in mind the challenges of our day. Ethnic reconciliation. Environmental calamity. Sickness and disease. Fear and anxiety. Do you see here that Jesus has authority over it all? Bear with me one moment here as we consider something and then we'll begin to close. The temple in Jerusalem, we've considered that a little bit here lately, especially in our study of Genesis. I'm really excited actually to get into the latter part of Genesis and Exodus and as we can start to consider more of the details of, of the tabernacle. and In the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. That was for the presence of God. And only the, holy, only the high priest could enter there. And then there was the holy place where all of the priests could enter. And, and then there was the court of men And that was for Jewish men. And and then there was the court for women. And and that was for Jewish women. And then there was the court of the Gentiles. And that was for the Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. And then there was the outer wall of the temple where all others must remain outside of that wall. And we see there varying degrees of proximity to the presence of God. Yet in Christ, we know as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
And so we see then that Jesus, as he cleanses the leper, as he heals the centurion's servant, as he heals Peter's mother-in-law, he breaks down the walls of separation and he gathers us all into his presence. And friends, in, 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 in Jesus, we must recognize, especially in this world in which we are living today, that in Jesus, biblical ethnic reconciliation has come. We, as believers, must live it out. Through His death and resurrection, as He heals, He demonstrates His authority over sickness and disease. He conquers sin itself and the penalty thereof so that we need not fear what may destroy our body in this life because we have assurance of the life to come. As He calms the storm, He demonstrates His authority over even the weather. And He asks us today, He asks you, why do you fear? Friends, that same Jesus is still on the throne today. What he's looking for are men and women who are also willing to give him authority over their lives. What I want us to understand here is that following Jesus, it will cost you something. The gift of salvation is free. You don't need to earn it. But you must understand that you may lose some things but you'll gain Christ and eternal life. It's been said we come to Jesus so that we get Jesus. And Christian, you have Him. And He has authority over all things. And the fact is, there is a lot of stuff going on in our world today. Satan is at work. We know that. But ultimately, Jesus has authority over it all. Not Satan. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Him with your life? Are you willing to give it all for Him, even if it includes your life. We are in a storm right now. The wind and the sea are raging. And we may be tossed about a bit in the boat, but there is one who is with us in it, who has us, and with a word, a single word, can quiet the wind and calm the seas. We know who He is, but we must trust Him and submit to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, because of you, Lord Jesus, have the ability, Lord, the opportunity, the gift of coming into your presence. No longer, Lord, is there separation because of our sinfulness because of a chasm that exists between us and God the Father, but you, Lord Jesus, have repaired that. You've torn the veil and you've told us to boldly come before your throne and here we are, Lord. And Father, may we recognize, may I recognize on behalf of some perhaps who are here today or watching online, Lord, that we, we are in a storm. And Lord, we're tempted to forget about your faithfulness and, and, and to cry out, Lord, that we're perishing. And Lord, forgive us of that. Lord, we repent of that. And we come back to you today and we look at you and we say, Lord Jesus, you have authority over all things. And Lord, I give you authority over my life. I surrender it all to you, Lord. And I know that, the, that there may continue to be waves that come over me, Lord, and, and storms that come against me, Lord, but I know that you are with me and that I need not fear. I needn't even fear to the risk of life in this world. For you've given me the promise of eternity. You told us, Lord, that where you are there, we will be forever with you. 
And so if there's any here today also, Lord, who perhaps are struggling in their faith, may the simple prayer in Scripture of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, be yours today. Just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to believe. Help me to have faith. Help me to trust in you, Lord, especially when things seem difficult and overwhelming. Do that work in us and through us. Do that work in this body, Lord. Do that work in our community, Lord. Lord, keep us from trusting in other things and in the things of this world. Help us, Lord, to put our trust and our faith solely in you. Keep our eyes fixed upon you, Lord, that we might with boldness go out into this world and demonstrate, Lord, much of the grace and the goodness and the work that you've done in our lives, Lord. May it be on display for others, that they might also glorify you, Lord. Father, we love you so much. We thank you that we can come to you. We thank you that you care for us and minister to us, Lord, that you work in our lives in this way. And we thank you, Lord, that you're calling us deeper, closer, a more intimate relationship with you, Lord, such that we can navigate these times with confidence, with boldness, and with trust. Uh, We love you and we praise you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.